Thanks for joining us for worship on this Memorial Day weekend. I'm sure some of you have decided to brave the beaches and others of you have decided to stay home and maybe barbecue in the backyard, but wherever you're joining us from, I'm glad you chose to worship with Trinity today. The message this morning is the fourth in a series we're calling Digital Babylon, Resilient Faith for Exiles. In this series, we're looking at five practices that set resilient disciples apart from habitual churchgoers and those who drift out of or walk away from the church. We want to know what we can do in order to be and to form followers of Jesus who are resiliently faithful in the midst of cultural coercion and who live vibrant lives in the Spirit. If something sticks out to you in this message or it raises a question, I'd love to hear from you or have you join our Zoom sermon chat this evening. Uh, you can mark on your digital connect card if you'd like information about that Zoom meeting. More and more in the world today, people are looking to their devices to make sense of the world around them. Just the other day, one of my boys asked me a question and I told him I didn't know the answer, to which he replied, well, just ask Siri. And we did, and she gave us an answer. Then there was the day I said something to Meg about the garden uh, back by the patio at our house and not knowing what some of the plants were, and her response was, oh, I have an app for that. See, here in Digital Babylon, we have almost instant access to information. But access to information is not the same thing as wisdom. I mean, you can know how to plug a mathematical formula into a calculator and get the right answer without knowing when you need to use that formula. So life in digital Babylon can be described in two ways, accelerated and complex. Let me take a minute and help you understand what I mean by that. First, life is accelerated. Life moves fast in digital Babylon, but it's not only fast, it's accelerating constantly. Life just keeps getting faster and faster as our technology gets faster and faster. Once upon a time, people in America used to write letters to one another, and it took time to sit down and put ink on paper and then mail it to someone and wait for the response. Then along came email, which even over a dial-up modem was faster than letters, and our expectations increased along with the pace. You expected an email back in a day or two. Then came texting, and that replaced a lot of email. But rather than expecting a response in weeks, like with a letter or, or days with an email, we then expected a response in minutes. And somewhere along the way, that even became too slow. And our phones gave us the option of responding with a response we don't even have to type. We just get a, a thumbs up or a ha ha, an exclamation point. We're not even using words anymore because we want that instant feedback. The pace of life in digital Babylon moves faster than our souls were designed to live. John Eldridge in his book, Get Your Life Back, tells the story of sports writer Robert Ruark, who took a trip to Africa, Tanganyika to be exact, in the late 1940s. 
And after he arrived there in Africa, he described this sort of semi-sleep condition he found himself in. I think we'd call it jet lag. But he felt like he was waiting for the rest of his soul to catch up with him. It had taken him two weeks to get from New York to Tanganyika, but he said it was too fast for his soul to keep up. If international travel was operating normally right now, I could get on a plane in Philly this evening and be in Uganda in 24 hours. I've done it. If Ruark's soul couldn't keep up with two weeks to make the trip, what does this kind of speed do to our souls today? Life in digital Babylon moves at the hurried speed of technology, which you'd think would make life simpler, but which actually makes life more complex. In our algorithm-driven lives, we're being distracted every second, and we're overwhelmed with choices. The ability to make a choice is a great thing, but when we're constantly faced with unending options, it gets exhausting. Remember back when we used to listen to music on CDs? I know, I'm totally dating myself. My boys don't even know what a CD is. Anyway, I had one of those CD holders that strapped onto the visor in my car. It was great. I could choose to listen to any one of the 10 CDs that could fit on my visor. I mean, I would have gotten tired listening to just one CD over and over and over if that one CD was the only one I had in my car. But having the choice between 10 was great. Then in 2001, along came iPods that could hold your entire music library. And now we have Spotify where you don't even have to own the music. And the number of choices, even simple choices, like what music to listen to, is overwhelming. When you're overwhelmed by all that you could do, how do you decide what you should do? When there are almost limitless options for every decision you have to make, how do you know what the right choice is? Sometimes it's not a big deal. It probably doesn't matter if I choose the Elevation Worship playlist instead of the Bethel Music playlist for my drive home from work. But sometimes it is a big deal. And we're overwhelmed trying to make a decision about what, to, what career to pursue. Because our whole lives we've been told, you can be anything you want to be. The complexity of having to choose between limitless options all day, every day, fills us with anxiety. I know some days I get home from a day full of decisions and I'd rather not even eat dinner than be faced with the question, what would you like for dinner? How do I live is the major question we're talking about today. It's one of the five major questions that everybody needs to find an answer for. And Digital Babylon will give you an endless stream of answers with no indication of who is deciding what the most relevant results are. If we are going to live well and wisely in the complexity and pace of Digital Babylon, we must learn to exercise cultural discernment. We can't just agree to live under the tyranny of now that says this moment, this trend, this hot take is all that matters. 
and we can't just blindly accept whatever the top hit on our search results says. We've got to learn to compare the belief and values of the kingdom we live in to those of the kingdom we belong to. Remember, Babylon isn't Jerusalem. Speaking of Jerusalem and Babylon, I want to go back to the book of Daniel and pick up with the story that Jeremy read for us today, which tells us a bit more of what happened with some of those young exiles we heard about back on May 3rd. These young men had been brought from Jerusalem to Babylon when King Nebuchadnezzar conquered Judah, and they were put into a program designed to turn them into Babylonians. They remained resiliently faithful through that process by recognizing the difference between Jerusalem and Babylon, by remembering who they were called to be, and by resolving not to be conformed to the Babylonian way of life. Now, here in Daniel chapter 3, we continue with the story of Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, or as we know them a little better, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three, along with their fellow exile Daniel, had been brought into the service of King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar had a golden statue made that was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. He gathered all the rulers and officials, including Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were told that when the music played, they were to bow down to worship the golden image. Or they'd be thrown into the furnace. The music began to play, and everyone bowed down to worship the image of gold, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, there was a little problem for our Jewish friends. They knew the covenant that God had made with the people of Israel when he brought them out of their slavery in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 20, we read these words from the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to worship them. They knew, these young men, that they could not bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up and still remain faithful to God. So they wouldn't bow down, and they remained standing. Now some tattletales, I, I think that's the Hebrew word used here, they went and told Nebuchadnezzar that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were refusing to serve the Babylonian gods and worship the image of gold. The king flies into a rage and tells the three of them that he will give them one more chance to bow down. But if they don't, they'll be thrown into the furnace. But their minds are made up. They're resolved. Listen to uh, this response from Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. 
But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They're not angry. They're not ugly. They don't even try to tell Nebuchadnezzar that he's wrong. They just calmly explain their conviction. We've got nothing to prove to you, king. Our God can save us from the fire and from you. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your gods. These exiles understood that people in Babylon were going to do things they couldn't do. People were going to hold values they couldn't hold. People were going to worship idols they couldn't worship. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego belonged to a different kingdom than the kingdom they lived in. They were citizens of the kingdom of God. These young men knew it could cost them something. It could cost them everything. But they had the wisdom to know they couldn't go along with the culture of Babylon in this. They were willing to count the cost and remained resiliently faithful in the face of big-time cultural coercion. Everyone around them bowed down. The king gave them another shot in front of everyone, but they weren't willing to compromise their faith in the one true God. And they faced the consequences. They didn't get off easy. Nebuchadnezzar didn't change his mind. He had them thrown in the fiery furnace. And God showed up. God honored their commitment and took what should have been certain death and turned it into a testimony. A testimony to the king and to all those watching. To be resilient disciples that can stand up to the kind of cultural coercion that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up to, we've got to increase our capacity for cultural discernment. To reject the idols and false gods of digital Babylon, we're going to need to exercise wisdom. And that takes time and practice. I recently started getting back into running after taking a break to heal an overuse injury. And it's incredible, and more than a little sad to me, how much fitness and aerobic capacity I've lost in that time. And there's part of me that just wants to get out there and run for five or ten miles, but I've had to start small. One mile, two miles, because I have to build up those muscles again. It's the same way with cultural discernment. We've got to practice it. We've got to strengthen it so we are ready when we need to use it. I think there are a few ways that we at Trinity can begin to foster this development of our cultural discernment muscles that we're going to need if we're going to be and develop resilient disciples. So there's a temptation when you're living in exile, when you're in a culture that's against your faith, there's a temptation to keep your head down, to not cause a fuss, and kind of shelter yourself from the fight. This can be especially tempting when it comes to our kids. But we can't just hide under a rock. The answer isn't to try and protect them from the culture, but to prepare them to engage it. 
You can't live your life on mission if you haven't prepared for mission. Because it's that period of preparation that leads to faithful engagement, like we saw with David last week. We've got to prepare our hearts and our minds, what we think and how we live. This starts with anchoring ourselves to the Bible. Resilient disciples believe the Bible is the inspired word of God and that it contains truth about the world. They believe that God is living and active and he desires that his people seek his direction. We spoke last week about developing an intimacy with Jesus. And where do we learn who Jesus is and what he's like, if not in the Bible? An anchor keeps a ship from that it's attached excuse me. An anchor keeps the ship it is attached to from drifting. And if we're going to develop cultural discernment, we've got to learn what it means to live under the kingdom we belong to, the kingdom of God. And we have to anchor ourselves to the Bible as the authoritative self-revelation of God. One of the insights that came out of Barna's research was that most young Christians want to learn more than their parents, teachers, and leaders expect. If we're going to grow our cultural discernment, the ability to apply wisdom and transmit it to others in Digital Babylon, our church, and our homes must become robust learning communities. We need to train people of all capabilities and callings to learn, to think, to understand, to comprehend, and to act. This means this needs to take place across a whole range of contexts and structures. It needs to be happening in our preaching, in classes and Bible studies, in small groups, in the midst of mission and ministry, with mentors, and in our homes. Whole life transformation takes place across our whole lives, not just in our Sunday morning programs. And it takes time. Finally, we can't oversimplify the message in an attempt to make it more appealing or entertaining. We've got to teach our young people to wrestle with the big questions of life, to mine the depths of our theological tradition, to understand the fullness of the story we find ourselves in. The story is more than just, you're a sinner and you need Jesus, although that is true. But the story began with a good creation, with humanity, walking in fellowship with God. And it ends with God setting all things right and making all things new. The fall and redemption find their place in the midst of this larger story. And so do we. If the faith we believe and pass on to our young people and our children is going to stand up to the challenges that come in digital Babylon, we can't put the cookies on the bottom shelf. We can't expect them to grow strong on a diet of only milk. We've got to give them some meat and let them chew on it. And that may mean you and I have some work to do so that we can learn and think and understand and comprehend so that we can give them appropriately sized pieces. 
I'd never give my five-year-old a nice big steak and say, good luck. I cut it up into bites he can chew and then digest. And when our kids get a bit older, you put the fork and the knife in their hand and teach them how to cut it up themselves. Our young people are incredible and they are capable of far more than we have given them credit for. They're asking big questions and they're capable of working through them, but we've got to show them how. Hilary Ferrer in her book, Mama Bear Apologetics, offers a four-step process for building cultural discernment. She says we've got to learn to recognize the message in the search results we get, the movies we watch, and the songs we listen to. And then we've got to anchor ourselves in the Bible so we can offer discernment between a biblical worldview and the worldview of Babylon. And we've got to argue for a healthier approach based on biblical wisdom. And then we've got to reinforce those approaches as we walk through life together. Based on what I see on social media these days, our young people definitely need to develop their muscles of cultural discernment. But so do many of our adults. Otherwise, we'll be overwhelmed by the accelerated pace and complexity of life in digital Babylon and, and the anxiety that it produces in our lives. Would you pray with me? God, we want to learn to be wise, to live wisely in the midst of our exile in digital Babylon. God, we need your help to anchor us closely to the scriptures, to your word, so that we can know your wisdom for us. God, help us as we seek to, to recognize the messages that are coming at us from every direction within the culture around us. And help us to see where they line up with your word and where they don't line up with your word. And, and help us to, to, to make that distinction, to discern those differences. And help us to choose a worldview built on your, your scripture, your revelation, who you are and who you've called us to be. God, we pray that you would help us as we seek to be and form resilient disciples. Help us to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were willing to count the cost, who were willing to say, we will not compromise on this issue. We're going to stand on the side of God no matter what. So God, we thank you, and we pray that you'd help us to be that kind of disciple. Help us to develop that resilient faith so that when the coercion of our culture comes up against us, we can remain resiliently faithful. Thank you for your spirit that you said would guide us into all truth. Continue to speak that truth to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.